0: I'd like for you to go with me into the gospel according to Mark. We continue our study of the gospel according to Mark. And we come to chapter 1 and verse number 9. Chapter 1 and verse number 9. The earliest presidential inauguration that I remember witnessing. It wasn't the earliest in my life, but... The earliest I really remember watching and paying attention to was when President Reagan was inaugurated uh, after he won uh, his presidential bid in his first term. I remember I was home from school that day. I probably had some very serious problem that kept me out. And I was on the couch and I was watching the inauguration of the president. And since that time, we've had many different leaders come and go. But the inauguration of the president is always a very special event. And as we come to chapter one in verse number nine, Mark has already told us and his readers that there is a new king that is coming and has arrived, and his name is Jesus. Uh, We have looked together at the Announcement that he made in verse number one, we also have uh, looked together to see the ministry of the forerunner, his messenger, who was John the Baptist. And now we come to verse number nine in chapter number one, and really we see some events that unfold that serve, if you would, this morning as the inauguration of the king, I want you to see, uh, beginning in verse number nine, the Bible says that, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved son, In whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan. And was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. In these verses, we find two major events that take place uh, in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And these events really mark for us the beginning of his public ministry. And those events are his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness. And these events serve for us an inaugural event an inauguration of the king, the new king. And so we look together and we see some things, and I hope you're prepared to write some things down. I want you to see, first of all, the presentation of the king. The presentation of the king. And he presents himself at an unusual place. He presents himself at the waters of Jordan. Notice if you would again in verse number nine, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth out of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Now we note immediately there's some things that we see here that especially the Jews of that day uh, would have wondered about. First of all is the place that he came from. The Bible tells us he came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Nazareth is a small village in Galilee. And again, Mark, his primary audience being the Roman world, is explaining to them uh, where Nazareth is in the region of Galilee, which is north of Judea. And Nazareth was an obscure place. In fact, the Jews thought it would be unthinkable that the Messiah would come from Nazareth or from Galilee. Nathanael's words come to my mind as he responded to Philip when Philip said, we found him, we found the Messiah. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And Philip replied, or Nathanael replied to Philip this way, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You see, John Phillips tells us that the Nazarenes were easily identified by their dialect their grammatical errors, and the mispronunciation of words. In fact, we heard the term Nazarene, and that was a term that was given to his believers, his disciples, his followers, and it was not given to them in a a way that would be uh, in any way appealing or complimentary, but it was a contemptible term that was given to his believers. Now, the people of of Israel, the people of Jerusalem thought as they heard about Jesus coming from Nazareth, they thought, well, now, wait a minute. Jesus is to come uh, from Bethlehem, the city of David. That's where the Messiah will come. In fact, John tells us in John chapter 7 and verse 41 and 42, the Bible said, but some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Galilee. In verse 42, the Bible says, hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh out of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Of course, Matthew tells us that he was born in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David. That he was of uh, the descendant of David, the son of David, born in the city of David. Matthew also tells us that because of the uh, attempt of Herod to kill all the babies, he fled into Egypt. His family took him there. And then after a period of time, according to the scripture, if you read the Bible and the gospel according to Matthew, you find that he went out of Egypt and he settled finally in Nazareth. And so we see the vivid detail that God gives to us that proves to us beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is the very Christ, the Son of the living God. And the fact that he came from Nazareth was no uh, happenstance, but it was all directed by the Lord. And so he comes from Nazareth, and what does he come for? He comes to be baptized of John in the Jordan. And John's immediate response is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 15 is this. The Bible said that John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Here's Jesus coming to Jordan saying to John, I'm here to be baptized. And John says what you and I would have said. You should baptize me. I, I, I certainly don't need to baptize you. And why should he be baptized? Because he is the sinless son of God. Now remember, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. He is calling the people of of, uh, Judea, he's calling the Jews to return back to God. He is calling them to repent of their sin. remember, the religion had become dead and cold and full of formalism and ritualism. And he's calling them in their heart to return back to God, to repent of their pride and their sinfulness, and to make straight and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And so John knew there was no reason for him to be baptized as far as his sin goes, because there was no sin in him. And so the question comes why? Is he to be baptized? And then we notice where it was that he was baptized. He was baptized in the river Jordan. Now Jordan is the primary river in the land of Israel and it flows out of the north from the Sea of Galilee southward down into the Dead Sea. It is a descending river that flows 1,300 feet below sea level. It goes down into the depths, and Jordan is a picture of death. A picture of death. And it is there in the river Jordan that John is baptizing his converts, and it is there where Jesus comes to present himself as the king, as the servant king, and he's coming to be baptized. But there's no sin in him. So, why is he baptized? One author has said the sinless lamb submitted to a baptism designed for sinners which foreshadowed that he would soon submit himself to a death deserved by sinners. Someone else said symbolically Jesus' baptism looked forward to the cross. We heard the song this morning, the cross said it all. You see the baptism of Jesus is uh, prefiguring, it is picturing for all of the world to see what it is that Jesus will do. He will step into the chilly waters of the Jordan. He will step into the river of death. And thereby he will identify with the sinners that he had come to save. Not only will he step into that river and be identified with the sinner, but he will submerge. He will be submerged underneath the waters of that river. Soon he will go to the cross and he will be submerged under the wrath of God and the fury of the justice of God, his father, for the sin of the world. And he will suffer and he will bleed and he will die for the sins of all humanity. And Jesus is there that day To say, this is my, this is my baptism. The Bible says in Luke 12, in verse number 50, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I am straightened till it be accomplished. In Mark 10, in verse 38, he asked the disciples, can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? You see, there was a greater baptism, uh, an ultimate baptism that he he had come uh, to experience and that was the baptism of death for the sin of the world. And so Jesus comes to be baptized. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And so when the Lord Jesus entered in to that river Jordan, he did so to testify that he had come as the king who would serve the people, who would identify with their sin, who would bear their sin, who would suffer the reproach of their sin and the shame of their sin and who would die for their sin. The presentation of the king at the waters of Jordan. And then I want you to see, secondly, the pronouncement of the king by the witness of heaven. The Bible tells us here in verse number, ti- uh, verse number 10, and straightway, coming up out of water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him and there came a voice from heaven saying thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased you see there was a pronouncement that was made and it was made by the witness in heaven now here's Jesus down in the water submerged under the waters of sin and death for you and I but thanks be unto God sin and death couldn't hold him he came up out of that water Hey, that that tomb that they had for him, that cross that they executed him on, it could not hold him. Hell could not hold him. On the third day, Jesus arose from the waters of our death. And when he came up out of that water, he saw the heavens open. The word there is the same word used when, when the Bible speaks about the veil at his crucifixion was rent in twain when he died. When that veil was rent in two, the same word is used there to describe how that the heavens were opened. It was as if God opened time and space and this solar system to give a glimpse, a window into heaven, and there God intervenes on behalf of humanity through the person of his son. And this is what happens. There is a visible witness and there is a verbal witness. The visible witness is the spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 11, if you'd like to turn there with me, Isaiah chapter number 11, that when the Messiah comes, He will be the anointed one. That's what the word Messiah means. A king in Israel was to be anointed. And here is the king of kings. He has come. And he is going to be anointed by the Holy Spirit of God which descends upon him out of the heavens. The Bible says in Isaiah 11 in verse number one, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number one, the Bible says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Just as God said in his word, the Holy Spirit of God came down and descended upon Jesus and it rested upon Jesus. As you study this passage, as you study what God has done and how he has revealed the person of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, you wonder how is it that they don't see? In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse number one, the Bible said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. These are the very words that Jesus read The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Jesus came up. And the spirit came down. When Jesus came up out of the grave, he said, I'm gonna leave you, but I'm not gonna leave you here by yourself. The spirit is gonna come down. And at the day of Pentecost, that spirit came down, that Holy Spirit of God, and he has not departed. He is with us today. Amen. And so we see the visible witness of heaven in the form of the Holy Spirit as it were a dove descending upon Jesus. And then next we're given a verbal witness. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 11, and there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the testimony of God the Father as he speaks to his beloved son. And what does he say? He said, I want you to understand, all of you who are gathered around, I want you to know that this is my beloved son. When God the Father testified of the deity of his son, he attested, as does the scriptures, that Jesus is equal with God. Philippians 2 and verse 6. That he is eternal with God, John chapter 1 and verse number 1. That he is the image of God, 2 Corinthians 4 4. That he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3. And he is the one in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is saying, When you see my son, you see me. And I'm well pleased with him. And so we see this inauguration as it is unfolding. We see the presentation of the king at the waters of Jordan. And what is he doing? He is picturing for us the death that he will suffer for you and I. He is identifying with us. And we hear the pronouncement and we see the pronouncement of the king In the witness of heaven. And then finally, we see something that we probably would not expect. We see the proving of the king in the wilderness of temptation. Notice, if you would please, in verse number 12, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan and was with the wild beast and the angels ministered unto him. You see the king is presented for us at the waters of Jordan and and he is pronounced for us by the witnesses of heaven but now the king is going to be proved in the wilderness of temptation. There's a foe, there's an adversary who's always there His name is Satan. He walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's going to meet this king in the wilderness. And he's going to put him to the test. You see the word tempted there means tested. It means tried. It means to prove. There's a difference between the temptation that Jesus experienced and the temptation that you and I experience you see we're born as sinful creatures and the Bible tells us in the book of James that every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lusts and enticed the difference between you and I and Jesus is that he has no lust that draws him away He does not have a sin nature. He did not have a sin nature when he walked among men. He was the perfect sinless son of God. But yet the Bible tells us that he was in all points tempted like as we are to identify with us, to intercede for us as our high priest, to be touched with a feeling of our infirmities that he must experience the proving in the wilderness. The wilderness was an arid place. It it was not a very pleasant place. It was an inhospitable desert stretching westward from the Dead Sea toward Jerusalem. It was a place that was solitary, absent of the fellowship of other people, absent from the provisions that he would have normally enjoyed. In fact, the Bible tells us that he did not eat for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And there it was in the midst of the physical weakness that comes through the fasting process, in the midst of the loneliness and the solitary uh, sufferings that he encountered there, Satan comes to him and he puts him to the test. I want you to go with me to the gospel according to Matthew chapter number four, Matthew chapter number four, because Matthew gives us a look at this temptation that Satan tempted him with and we find there's a threefold temptation here let's look at it together Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil you see there's a showdown here Satan is resisting the work of God and the redemptive purpose of Christ in the world and so he comes to oppose him. He comes to tempt him, to withstand him as he withstands you and I. And the Bible says in verse 2, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. Now imagine not eating 40 days and 40 nights and, and the hunger that you would experience. And the weakness and the frailty that one would experience. This is where Jesus is Physically. And the Bible says in verse number three, and when the tempter came to him and he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He's challenging him. He's challenging the assertion that was made about who it is that he is. Are you the son of God? If so, I know you're hungry. Why is it that you're hungry? You're God. Why don't you command these stones to be made bread? We read in verse four the response of Jesus. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Verse number five, then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou, there's the there's the challenge again, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. He's saying, Wait a minute, it's written. It's written that his angels have charge of you. We understand that the angels are there in the wilderness. They're ministering to him. And Satan said, well, look, if you're the son of God, then why don't you jump off this mountain, jump off this ravine, jump off this cliff, and God will bear you up, and then everybody will know that you're the son of God, and everybody will believe it. And we see the response of the Lord Jesus In verse 7, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up, verse 8, into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou will fall down and worship me. You see, Satan is offering to Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And by the way, he had the authority to do it. Do you know where he got the authority? He got the authority in the garden. When Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation, they gave the title deed to this world. The dominion that was given to them was taken away by the devil. The Bible calls him the prince of this world and the God of this world. And so he offers to Jesus the kingdoms of the world on one condition that Jesus just bow down and worship him. The Bible says in verse 10, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. What was Satan trying to do? What was the temptation that Satan presented? He presented to the Lord Jesus the temptation to exercise the power and the privilege Inherent with his divine status and thus abandon the humiliation of his incarnation and apart from the spirit's empowerment. Let me try to give that to you in a little simpler term. He's saying to Jesus, if you're the son of God, then show us. He's saying to Jesus, if you're the son of God, then why don't you employ your divine power and make yourself something to eat? You can do it, and we know he could. He's saying to Jesus, there's no reason for you to have to go to that cross and suffer that sin and death. If you want the worship of this world, I'll give it to you. All you gotta do is do it my way, and you can escape all of this cross and death. You can escape it all. You see the temptation that Satan is giving to Jesus is to step outside of the will of the Father and take the easy road. Does that sound familiar? Because if if Jesus had given in, then God's plan of redemption would have been foiled. And by the way, Jesus would never have given in. You know, sometimes you think about the devil. He's a powerful being. He's a beautiful creature. He came uh, to Eve in the garden. He, he enticed her with his beauty. He is a master schemer and strategist. But yet he's fighting a battle he has no hope of ever winning. How could he be that dumb to think that he can overthrow God? To think that he can get the very God of gods who spoke this world into existence and the God of gods who created him to bow down and worship him and to step outside of the will of the Father. He doesn't seem to be very intelligent, does he? You see, we have here this king of kings, and this Lord of lords, who went into the wilderness, and he proved his authority over Satan. He proved himself as that very king. And he lived the rest of his earthly life and ministry in complete obedience to the will of his father. And Satan, by the way, never left him alone. Never left him alone. He was always there. But he is a proven king. And so we see the inauguration of our king. He presented himself at Jordan to identify with sinners, to submit himself to be the sacrifice for their sin, to suffer their death and their shame, to save their souls. And we see the pronouncement as he comes out of the heavens. This is my beloved son. We see the spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. We see him in the wilderness of temptation as he resists every effort that the devil has and he says, it is written. And we say, behold, our king, King Jesus. I'm glad to be in that number. Are you in that number? Can I tell you that Jesus came to this earth to suffer and bleed and die so that you would not have to. Jesus Christ came to bear your sin so that the guilt of your sin and shame could be transferred to him. Jesus came and uh, he lived a victorious life so that his righteous record could be imputed to your account. He rose again the third day victorious over death, hell, and the grave so that you could share in his victory. Do you know him as your Savior? Have you bowed the knee to him? Have you confessed with your heart the Lord Jesus? I hope you'll come to him today. The invitation is for whosoever will. Jesus said, let him come unto me. He wants to save you. You say, well, I'm not so sure about who he is. When was ever the heavens open and the spirit of God descending? Whenever did we hear the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And whenever did we find a man that could not give in to the temptation or would not give in to the temptation of sin and the tactics of the devil, we've not found a one but Jesus. He's our king, let's serve him. Let's devote our lives to him. Let's honor and magnify his precious name. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.